0: Together we can mobilize a global mission force to finish the task. This is your tribe.
1: Good day, everybody. Thank you, and welcome to this episode of This Is Your Tribe. This is Ray Pang, I'm from Taipei, and right now I'm in my uh, my own home, but I'm into uh, you know having a good talk with my old friend. Uh, you know, brother, Greg Parsons, who is the uh, Director of Global Connections of the uh, uh, Frontier Ventures, with, for, formerly known as the U.S. Center for War Missions. Greg have been involved with mission and mission mobilizations, mission education for the last, I would say, 30 or 40 years. Um, <laughs> well, Greg, good to have you.
0: Good to be with you, Ray. Good to see you again. Thanks uh, for connecting. That's so
1: great. I, yeah, this, you know, I, I, this, this is really interesting. This is really, um, uh, because of pandemic, and we have this privilege. Actually, we can use Zoom to have this conversation. You know, through internet. You know all right so now it is very early in the morning for you uh but uh, you are not in uh in at, at the base of uh, frontier ventures right uh not in pasadena so uh, tell us a little bit more about what's what's going on over there now uh and well, you know because we all know uh the, the office is with uh, the perspectives and with uh, some uh, wouldn't carry library, the, the publisher, and many other things are happening. Uh, but how, how does that work now, especially yeah. with the pandemic?
0: Well, even before the pandemic, we realized that um, we needed to do a better job of connecting our own staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, really, since even before Dr. Winter died in 2009, more than half of our staff were outside of Pasadena. Uh And so that increased and, uh, uh, and, and uh, over the last 10 years. So we began to actually have meetings, uh, staff meetings online and stuff before COVID. Mm. Uh, We were getting involved in office 365 and all that kind of stuff. And so it really helped us when COVID hit. Mm. Uh, Of course, for those of us here in Pasadena, because the office uh, is, it's still our building. It's about a block and a half away. Mm. My office is still there, but it's pretty empty. And and that building will be gone or not ours. Uh, I shouldn't say gone, but, but someone else will own it in February oh, really? 2022. Wow. So uh, what we're doing, we are uh, leasing an office in closer to downtown Pasadena. Oh, okay. Uh, on the north side of town, there's a couple of offices next to each other there that we'll have. Most of us won't have full-blown offices. All of my books, and that's not all of them. Most of them are in the living room. Oh, I know how many books you have. <laughs> uh, they're not. They're not uh, uh, going to be in that office in Pasadena. But what we're moving to, just organization-wide, is more of a hub idea of a of of in a way you could say centers centers for world mission. But mm. um, but we're just we're calling at this point just hub. So at this point, a hub isn't even necessarily a physical place, mm. though Though things will happen at physical places. There will be, you know, things that go on. But even like, it's like perspectives. It never goes on just, it never, I should say, went on just on the campus here in Pasadena. It did oh. that. We had intensive courses every summer, sometimes two, sometimes one in, in January, three times a year uh, at the mm. height. But there were always then, then increasingly it was, well, there's one at a church down uh, on Lake Avenue. Then there's one over in, in Whittier and there's, you know, and, and of course it didn't, I'm not saying it grew from those. It did grow from Pasadena, but it actually there was courses at Wheaton. There were other things way back in the 80s. So it's always been a distance thing. And that in a way is what organizationally we're moving to as well. So we'll have a Western hub, which actually includes, the folks that are in the Denver, Colorado Springs area. Oh, which is, okay. Yeah that that is uh, of course the front Mission Frontiers, Joshua Project, and William Carey Publishers. Mm-hmm. The new name the new name for William Carey Library Publishers is William Carey Publishers. Mm. And uh, and then there's an East Coast hub. We've had a had an office in the Philadelphia area for years, but there's a training thing going on up there now. Mm. Uh, there, there's a bunch of different things going on up and down and people that live up and down the East coast. We also have a hub in, in Chiang Mai. So um, that started a little over maybe a year and a half ago, a brother who spent a whole career in Cambodia, a single Mm. brother is sort of setting that up and he's connecting with just a number of different smaller ministries, but people that are doing some pretty creative things. Based there in asia to 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 thrust out workers so that's yeah great. that's
1: a short answer so Grant, uh I, I i don't know that, that uh, because it seems like everybody knows you uh, especially in the mission circle every everywhere i go everyone i met he said you know uh i just talked with greg and he said oh <laughs> so but i i, I don't know uh, maybe you can just introduce yourself a bit more especially your journey as a as an ambassador for missions and 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 a global mobilizer in in that scale, yeah. but it it wasn't day one that was your desire to do that. I still remember you told me you were once a photographer in Counter Taiwan and taking photos for these basketball players and all these yeah. interesting journeys you had.
0: Well, we all have a lot in our past, don't we? But, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I was just actually thinking about this the other day uh, mm-hmm. because I was uh, I, I actually started. I didn't mobilization wasn't of missions, wasn't really an idea in no. the 70s when I was uh, really becoming committed to the Lord, which happened uh, when I was just entering junior high school, uh, went to a solid church bible but with a mission teaching but with a strong mission focus it was a new church mm-hmm. plant so there was just a lot of elements there that really mm-hmm. shaped me in those formative years and including people who who looked to younger people to be involved who 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 asked us to do stuff mm-hmm. you know i got invited out uh, to be the because i was interested in missions and trying to help communicate and get people to pray in fact, mm-hmm. I just happened to pull this out for another reason yesterday. Here's the first sort of, uh, uh Wow. U.S. edition that of, of Operation World.
1: No. That
0: came out in, uh, 1976, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, f- and so, you know, we were, we were, through this, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, and I, in fact, I, I, uh, I made a stained glass map of the world.
1: You did, wow! And
0: and I I can't find a picture of it right now. I know I have it somewhere, but um, it was color coded. This tells you what how things shifted. So this is in you know in college. I'm in San Jose Bay Area. That's where I grew up. The church uh, had a missions display, and we said, hey, well, let's make a stained glass map of the world. We took this book and basically color coded it based on need for the whole country. So, you know, China was red because there's so many people that are not Christians. Of course, at that point, we didn't have a clue what was going on with the house church movement. I mean, even in this book, it says there were maybe a million believers at the time of the communist takeover. Well, we know now that was more like six million. And, of course, Mm -hmm. all of what's going on. But we didn't know that there were hints Mm -hmm. at it. Patrick Johnstone says some people think maybe maybe. There's something going on in this house church movement kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, so we were praying and, you know, uh, I was just really glad if you're observing this movement at all, you know, that we now don't talk about countries per se. Yes, we have to, because that's where people located. That's where you get your visa and your passports. But it's people groups. And uh, and that was not I was I was really glad that I didn't know about people groups when I made that stained glass map because that would have been really complicated. In fact, impossible in India, for example, where yeah. people groups yeah. are right on top of each other. So anyway, with that context, <clears throat> and with a church that was encouraging us, and uh, and that and that you know invited me to be like a college representative on the missions committee kind of thing mm-hmm. and all that. Another guy and I took a group of students, mobilized students, when we were just saying, "Hey, let, we're Urbana was coming in 1976." Wow. And a month before it, in October of 76, a month and a half before it, mm. <clears throat> there was a conference up at Stanford University, about a 30-minute drive away, mm. that was called the Student Conference on World Evangelism, SCOWI. And they had run these in different places around the country. And so this friend of mine, Doug, mm. who later, by the way, became one of the very first perspectives coordinators at a distance. And did that for many years. Um, so Doug and I said, "Hey, let's get a bunch of students to go. This will help us get ready for Urbana. We'll be talking, thinking about missions. We need to, you know, do whatever." This is guy Ralph Winter and others are going to be there. It should be good, you know. So yeah, we went who... up, being the missions guys, you know, who were promoting missions in our church, uh-huh. and heard Doctor Winter describe in a poorly lit building he had a bow tie on he had these overheads If some of you like ray probably don't even know what those are i know i know I... things you put on an overhead. yeah i know and you you know change it you know yeah the early and, days uh, that, that's the PowerPoint um, at that time <laughs> that's right and, and there were circles and circles within the circles and i mean if if you had time in this you could put pictures of these things in there hmm. and so it was not the most you know thrilling presentation but it just hit us to the core because we had no idea that there were these peoples that were basically locked away from the gospel Mm. in fact they called them hidden peoples. some back then not because Mm. they were hiding but because they were hidden from our view and so both Doug and I were just floored that that night and uh, then I went to a seminar the next day that Dr. Winter did, like a breakout seminar. That was his presentation that night. The next day, he did a seminar on the U.S. Center for World Mission because it was just actually, literally, it was just incorporated days before. Mm. and uh, Or no, it was going to be incorporated a few days later in uh, November. Was it November 8th or 9th? Now, I can't remember. I should know that. Uh, I got it in my calendar. Yeah, That's
1: uh, in your book, book. actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. I know. I know. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, he was sharing that vision and, uh, you know, there was a campaign to get a million people to give $15, um, <clears throat> to pay for the campus here in Pasadena and the houses around it. And, uh, that was just an amazing season. I gave my $15 to do that. I then went off to pretty much then after college, went off to seminary and uh, but still kind of kept in touch some and was getting mission frontiers in those early days and and wondering what to do I was thinking well I'll be a maybe I'll be a missions pastor at a local church you know or maybe I'll eventually be a pastor that has a missions vision you know and and then uh, another friend of mine who spent a summer out here in Pasadena on the campus helping out with landscaping of all things a good friend uh, said hey they need help out at the U.S. Center why don't you go out there for a while you know and so my wife and I, you know, graduate, I graduated, went on a, a, a second short term. I spent a, one summer in Asia in 1980. I could tell you stories about that, too. I was in Taiwan those weeks. Uh, it was a short term mission thing. And I follow a basketball team, but there were other things that happened there as well. And. Yeah. Uh, um, But, uh, yeah, I went on another shorter short term to Haiti and Jamaica with a couple of professors from the seminary. They set up a summer there and did ministry in Haiti each summer, one of them. And Mm -hmm. uh, and then we came out and took perspectives. I like to say, you know, we took perspectives when it was 20 lessons long. Now it's only 15, of course. And snow in Pasadena in july whatever it was usually it doesn't snow here if you don't know that that but it was 20 lessons long and um uh anyway it was it was it would really convince my wife uh that we needed to come and uh she'd grown up in a missions-minded church Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and had never heard anything about this so this was sort of the same experience for her that i'd had before i met her Back at Stanford, back in 1976. So anyway, um, yeah, that I, I was—I didn't realize it, but you know, I was mobilizing all along. I guess it maybe was my inclination. I'm an extrovert, so if I catch something, I wanna—I wanna share it with people. So I can mm-hmm. go more into that if you want. But we came out after we came out for the summer, took perspectives, did staff orientation. We joined. Mm-hmm. we invited to join the staff by Dr. Winner and uh, went out, raised our support, and came in, this was in the, we were accepted in August of 82, came back in uh, March of 83, and uh, started working, and we've been here ever since. We thought we'd stay a few years, you know, and then go overseas, Mm. because when we first came, she'd spent a summer in Haiti, and um, uh, was planning. When I married her uh she was planning on going overseas as a missionary she wasn't sure where uh or what agency and I was in the same situation I wasn't sure of of that and so we said well let's go out there and we'll get our bearings and we'll maybe get a better glimpse of what's going on in the world Mm. and um and then we just ended up staying so you know I was in our media area so I was thinking about communicating using something a little better than overheads if we could and uh um (laughs) How things slide have changed, hey! <laughs> you know, we made slideshows, you know, sometimes, wow, we, well, sometimes we had even two projectors who would go back, you know, and that kind wow. of Wow, fancy. Now it's so easy to do that stuff on the computer, it's almost frightening, but uh, <laughs> anyway.
1: Wow, so ever since, staying for a while, then that, that means like 40 years passing by. That's <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it'll be forty
0: years this coming summer that we uh, we were accepted on staff.
1: Yeah, tell us so. a bit more about Dr. Raffinta because I think most of the people just heard about him. You know, just yeah. you know, studying perspectives and have this. You know, it, it just it just feels like that's that's an era that we we have no idea that how that just um, the the people groups the the, the mentality. Have shifted the global church in 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 a in such a way that uh, the way we see people and the way we see the end goal, the how uh, when and how we can actually uh, be involved and finish the task. You know, the, the whole concept is different. Then, no, I just have a conversation with somebody th- this week, and and we just we're just amazed because there are always people bringing us something and uh, and new definitions of. You know, where is the the, the frontier? Where, where you know, etymologically and, and other things. But Dr. Raffwinkle is probably the 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 only person who actually makes such a huge difference.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there there were others, of course,
1: and uh, and he would say
0: he didn't come up with these ideas. He, yeah, he yeah. Did yeah pop, so. He did popularize them, though. So McGavran and some of those guys were the ones. Cam, Tam, Cameron Townsend, founder of Wycliffe. Yes, McGavran, the father of church growth movement. But so Winter though was one who was captured by that, and began to research it. He's an engineer, mm-hmm. but also trained, in, you know, a, a, and with a, a theology degree, uh, with a degree in statistics. Um, and so, you know, and then a field guy who spent 10 years with on a field where there were churches and missionaries already when he got there it wasn't a pioneering situation, but he was working to help get pastors training where they were so they could stay where they were and that gave him just mm-hmm. he was just a creative person, an innovative person, uh, an idea person that would be even the word that would be more most of those words that would be is that he was just coming up with ideas new ways better ways to to do things all the time which is super stimulating and super frustrating yeah it stimulates people you know it gives you a sense of wow we could do this and maybe this is what god is doing and and mm-hmm. and um especially if you're uh like I was, I was more of a creative, I haven't really used those skills that much uh, in these 40 years, I confess. Uh, I, I mean, I have and I do in a lot of different ways. But we were always always tinkering with ideas, always saying, well, is that the best way to do it? I would say Winter would say that's the kind of question you want to ask yourself is, and I think he got this from Dawson Trotman, who is the founder of the Navigators, who was another real visionary leader, in a different way, but he said, "You know, uh, uh, never, you know, do." Uh, n- uh, he, he would wake up every day and and ask himself, Dawson. Why am I doing what am I what I'm doing, and why am I doing it the way I'm doing it? And because he want he in his case was very much an evangelist and a discipler, and he just wanted to share with people better and more and and multiply that and get other people to share you know one of their theme verses, the navigators is second timothy two two you know the things you've heard from me and trust and faithful men who will teach others also that multiplication idea you know and so that that was embedded in winter dawson and the navigators impacted winter and uh and winter was applying that in a more global mission context mm-hmm. um so he was you know he was I would say when, he, when it came to missiology and the creativity for how to reach the world and the frustration with some of the things that we were doing that weren't effective or that, that, that seemed to be distracting, yeah. um, I would agree with him almost all the time. When it came to how to run the organization, the U.S. Center for World Mission, which I was the director of for 20 years of the, of the time we've been here, Uh, We didn't agree. Um, But Mm -hmm. we worked through that. And, you know, uh, I deferred to him. Uh, He was the founder. And, uh, and so somehow I learned to work with that and, and maybe better than some people. Uh, I'm sure others could have done this had we found them and recruited them. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, he was, you know, for 27 and a half years of our time here, he was here and I worked with him and then I did a doctorate on him and, uh, I could pull that book out off my shelf and show you, we printed it in a more popular format. It's the, but it, it really is a helpful book. I think in this way, it's my dissertation. Yeah. Uh, but it's written in a more popular way. And I would say for somebody who wants to see how does a, A visionary leader live out their vision, then it would be a good book for that because it walks you through what shaped him and then what what was kind of percolating in his mind. And then three specific chapters are on three major things that he was involved in, the Unreached Peoples being the final one of those and the establishment of the US Center for World Mission and and that my dissertation ends at the beginning of the US Center it doesn't include the last 40 years mm-hmm. but also then another thing that he did was he kind of reinvigorated the discussion about we'd call it church and mission today but for those who've taken perspectives you would know sodalities and modalities are yeah. you know those structures and what they're for and how might they work and how did the bible talk about them and um, then the third thing is the other thing i hinted at that he was very instrumental he didn't again invent any of these things although he came up with creative ways of talking about them and Mm. and engaging with them but the third one was um uh the whole idea of of distance education or theological education by extension Mm. which is actually all over the world i mean we in the u.s and i don't know about taiwan but um you know we think uh you know just Theological education by extension, what is that you know, kind of thing? You, if you want a seminary, you go down to the seminary. Yeah, you can take classes online now, but in a lot of places in the world, you can't do either, and, and or you do it in sort of a modified way. So there is a lot of theological education by extension. In fact, I have a book right here that I'm about to review, TEE, Theological Education by Extension, uh, in Asia. Uh, and uh, this is my sticker on it here I need to take off so the cover doesn't, the cover design doesn't get mad at me. But anyway, it's, uh, you know, empowering churches to equip disciples. I mean, and it's written uh, by a team of people from around the world. Um, So anyway, you know, if you go in Operation World and search on Theological Education by Extension or TE, you find it's in 73 different countries. And some of those programs are all they have. They they cannot have a residential seminary, mm. and if they had it, they couldn't afford it. You can't afford mm. to take off time and go to school when mm. you're a, when you're in ministry. So anyway,
1: yeah, I think I have so many so many things I want to ask you, but uh, one one of these things is the uh, one of the articles uh, in the perspectives, and Dr. Ruffin wrote about mobilization specifically and saying very boldly and you know that was back in the you know 70s or 80s and saying we don't need to mobilize more missionaries but we need to mobilize more mobilizers and okay. that's 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 some crazy talk you know even back in the days it was you know yeah What what's your takeaway
0: well i mean th- that was a yeah he he would say uh you know uh if you're going to, don't go, don't go to the field until you can take a hundred people with you. You know, the illustration of waking the <laughs> sleeping firemen, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to put out a fire, your barn's burning in the backyard, Do you go with a bucket and start throwing a bucket on it. Or do you wake up a hundred sleeping firemen kind of thing? Um, people ask him, how many mobilizers do you need? And, uh, you know, cause, cause if you're going to If you're gonna say that uh, somebody who stays is more important than someone who goes, how how many do you need? And he just would throw out, he said, I don't know, let's get to a thousand, you know, kind of thing. Um, You know, But I mean, you think about it though. I mean, I've seen this. Obviously in 40 years where we're on support, we, we have churches that support us. Those churches transition. We've had churches merge into other churches and stop supporting us. We've had churches that are struggling. We have a couple, two or three now that are struggling. Uh, trend they're going through transitions Um, how do you sustain things when churches morph and change and if you take one of those churches that was really solid for almost this whole 40 years what happens well they get a they get someone who promotes missions in the church you know some lay elder or some some person who maybe maybe it's a person who went overseas for a year or two or did a short term or something and they you know, but then they somehow leave, maybe their job changes, they move, there's nobody doing it. Nobody in the church is praying for you. Nobody in the church is praying for the world. Nobody is thinking about these things because that's not what churches typically do. That's a problem, I think, in the church. I think churches ought to have this, but there's got to be somebody there who's really promoting. And I wonder, actually, if GMC ought to think about how to engage church-based mobilizers um, as well
1: as all of what we've been doing along in that network but that's another topic. Yeah but he did try it actually he he tried so many different things well and initiate uh, a a lot of uh, projects including well for many many years Global Prayer Digest and my my dear brother uh, uh, Kiswali, sorry not Kiswali, Kiswali. Kiswali is another example actually and he started encountering World of Island. um so we have this uh you know uh, prayer booklet and in every month and give you some materials to 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 flame the fire and and then you have this Joshua project you can always look for statistics and also prayer points and then you have this you know you know, mission frontier with all these articles and cutting edge issues and tackling all these missiology, um, missiology debates and, you know, and, and, and really talk about it and, and not mentioning the, uh, the, the perspective study program. Right. So, all these things, are, are they designed to do so or to be, you know, orchestrated this way or just just happen? Uh, because I, we have this idea and then we give it a try here and there. Well, it's
0: a mixture always, you know, I mean, in anything, you've got to have people who take on a vision and run with it. So mm-hmm. we had a guy on our staff. Uh, I mean, we talked about the need for prayer mm-hmm. and for prayer for the unreached, for prayer for stuff that you don't know how to pray for because you don't even know how to pronounce the names of these people groups, you know. <laughs> I mean, that was really true in those early days, you know. uh, Azerbaijan, you know, what is Azerbaijani? You know, I mean, you know, the Caucasus region in that same area, roughly. I mean, these are complicated, complex cultural issues and other languages, you know, because it's their name for themselves. But anyway, so a guy who was a pastor passionate about prayer came on staff and really wanted to you know, get something going that um, Dr. Winter had a motto already, which was <clears throat> anything that you don't do daily will never dominate your life. And so you know, if prayer for the unreached is foundational, then we need to do it daily. And so it was originally called the Daily Prayer Guide. And, uh, and then we changed it later to the Global Prayer Digest But that was, you know, at first there were some sample issues put out. You get your feet wet and then, you know, and then you had people praying through it. I mean, my mom, who died about three years ago now, just actually just before COVID in in, um, November before COVID hit. uh, uh, And uh, she was probably one of the longest term faithful prayers through that prayer guide. Every day she would pray for the people in there. I mean, you know, and and Keith Carey, who you mentioned, can tell you story after story of a connection between the prayer that happened and something going on with the people. Not necessarily a huge breakthrough, but something that happened. Some people, mm. some people coming to Christ, some people, you know, getting out there, whatever it is. There's just a whole bunch of those stories that are linked together. So, I mean, you know, so it went different ways. I mean, Perspectives was... Uh, a different thing and actually kind of started before the U S center even started. William Carey library was, you know, he started mm. that because here are were all these experienced missionaries. Those were the only students at Fuller when Dr. Winter was teaching there, McGavern had just started it first 10 years. You could, you couldn't go unless you were already spent at least one term, preferably two on the field. Oh. So here are these experienced missionaries writing up church growth studies where they, Spent there four to eight years, Mm. and it's sitting on a shelf in Fuller's Library. And in fact, you should go to Fuller's Library someday. You can't right now because they still have it closed, I think, because of COVID. But it's just unbelievable to see these shelves and shelves and shelves of church growth studies from all over the world. And so Dr. Winter said, We need to publish some of this stuff. And so he started William Carey Library, now William Carey Publishers, missionbooks.com or missionbooks.org, both, I guess. And uh, yeah, and and that was you know he started it in his garage. I mean, you know, before there was an Apple computer to start in the garage. Of course, there was IBM had already started in a garage. But anyway, it was just a home business. His he and his four daughters and Roberta, his wife, ran it. You know, and uh, did each did the job appropriate to their skills. And uh, yeah, that's
1: the way it started. Let, let's talk about. You know, current and present days, uh, you know, the world is so different. We're talking about majority world. We're talking about from everywhere to everywhere. We're talking about all this, you know, modern technology. We're talking about social media. We're talking about a global paradise now in so many different languages, including Chinese, you know, and then we have an app and my my wife is actually recording the, the audio version of it. And, you know, there's just so many things. Uh, perspective is booming in so many different parts of the world. And and this uh, perspective's granddaughter, Kairos, have been making so much impact everywhere in the world. And and uh, these movements in, in, in Brazil is crazy with all these uh, very e- exciting uh, movements. And what was... One thing after another, how do you see that you know from 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 a, a small office well originally small office in in Pasadena and then grow into a, a a movement a mission movement a real mission movement it's not just something you know we we read about from the book like like Morovians like you know right it's now it's 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 still <sighs> happening. And, yeah. and, and you are part of it. I am part of it. You know, yeah. this, this is crazy. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. It is crazy. But,
0: right, but as you know, I mean, it's so many different organizations. And in fact, that was actually a focus of the, the U.S. Center for World Mission, meaning we knew that because we weren't sending missionaries out, we needed to connect with those who were. And so a lot of what we did was targeted to helping mission leaders and, and younger missionaries who are just starting out, both, to, to kind of get their bearings and uh, figure out um, what was the best way to do stuff. It's fun to see that 2 Timothy 2.2 kind of borne out in in mission discipleship, if you will, and uh, to see the results of that. And, there, and there's a lot of amazing stuff that's happened even as much as there's a lot left to be done and there are new generations of people to be reached in new ways and that's you know that's part of how the world works.
1: Following this uh, thread of conversation how do you see the future the upcoming days how can we really work together and, and why this is so important?
0: Well I mean you know you 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 always have to multiply laborers if you want to get more done, you know, it's, it's, it, if Apple computer wants to build more phones, they have to open more factories and hire more people. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a silly or a obvious illustration. Um, <clears throat> but you know, that, that's that multiplication idea of spreading the vision Uh, and and then spreading it and people develop new things within it just like you've done Ray there as you've tried to mobilize in Taiwan and beyond you 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 basically have said well this is kind of what we need here and so you created those things and you yes you took tools that we had sometimes but you also created other things you uh, didn't just translate you you contextualized if you will and you and you uh, probably would have done more if you had had more resources. You would have created some other tools and things. And so that's why it sort of builds. So we cast a vision. People take <clears throat> perspectives or use the Joshua Project website or read an article in Mission Frontiers, and then they apply it in their own context and things multiply. And that's the way it's got to be, in part because you know we know that you know younger generation people are going to be spending time looking at this uh you know they're not looking at written pages uh, generally i mean we you know and so so we have to think of ways like podcasts and other things uh texting you know i mean i know they say now you're going to do college ministry you have to be you have to be texting that they're not going to read emails you know so things keep moving and evolving and these are not i'm not telling people stuff they don't know but the reality is you just have to think about this. And so we try yeah. and now communicate in other ways. But we also recognize that some people will take our tools
1: and other tools that are out there that are good
0: and modify them or put them into a context that works for them.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. Uh, but uh, be- before we finished, uh, I think uh, one one of these latest issues from the uh, Mission Frontiers and talking about... The uh, is the world still a waffle? Um, you know, we have been talking about this for uh, for for a number of times, and uh, we're, we're talking about you know that where where is the new, or you know, especially modern days with people on the move, refugees and diasporas and and and, and immigrants and many other things like uh, global gateway cities like L.A., Taipei, and New York, Japan, uh, Tokyo, and 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 my for example and so and how how are we going to uh, deal with the the, the Finnish night now what's what's, what's the latest uh, from from your perspective and from the frontier ventures perspective
0: well I mean there's yeah there are so many issues now when, when you get into uh, the complexities of race ethnicity the movement of people's migration, you know, refugees, diaspora, all the mixtures of that. And there, those, all those things are defined, and you have to, and I'm not going to get into that right now. But you still, you still have, I mean, you add up, and we've got phenomenal maps. Go on to the JoshuaProject.net website, JoshuaProject.net, and look up. Mm-hmm. If you scroll to the bottom and look for the Frontier People stuff and other, you'll see these amazing maps that show that what's going on. Mm-hmm. With peoples and where they are and and whatnot. But still, the core of the remaining task is in the homelands of the Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and other populations. I mean, yes, a bunch of them are coming here, but it's not when anybody says, "You know, they're coming to our doorstep and they mean that means we don't need to go. I think they're they're wrong. Now, it may be that you, any one person doesn't need to go. It may not be that a Westerner from the U.S. is the best person to go.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But remember, we got churches everywhere. I mean, not everywhere. You know what I mean? All over the world who all ought to be sending. So we're all still doing that. The question is, what kind of role do people take on? I think increasingly, we need to see the role of what we would call alongsiders, people who come alongside people to help them walk to Jesus, if they're not, or if they are already believers, they help them walk into a global vision, a vision that sees those other ethnic groups right around them, the way God does, and maybe who sees them become then a part of reaching them. So mm. we can do a lot with diasporas. We can do a lot with refugees. I'm hoping to do a A podcast on the refugee situation in southern spain coming up there's 15 different agencies there they're doing stuff with the eu the government wants them to be there i mean it's amazing what's going on and i want to tell that story but i don't want to forget there's still a whole bunch of syrians in syria you know there are still all those hindus in north india that are not going anywhere no uh you know there, may, there are, of course, a bunch of Iraqis and others coming across the border right as we speak or trying to from Belarus into Poland. What a political nightmare. Mm. And, and people as pawns of political corrupt leaders. You need to be praying for these leaders. You need to be praying against their leadership. I mean, God is the one who sets up leaders and takes them down. And you can pray that into being, as John Piper says, John, uh, James 4.2 two. You have not because you ask not it means we need to be praying that yeah. God would replace the leaders in places like Belarus and Nigeria and, mm. you know, other places uh, right now. Just making it so painful and difficult for both individual opposition, Beatty, but also, Mamar,
1: you name it, it's, you know, the list goes on and on. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. So we could keep going. We can talk again.
1: thank you Greg for your time and um, just God bless you and and the ministry of Frontier Ventures and hopefully uh, we can really see each other uh, once again very very soon thank you very much and
0: and, uh, I just encourage people to hang in there are tough times when you want to bail and uh, maybe God wants you to bail but uh, make sure that it's him and not just your uh, yeah needing more diligence and, and pressing on Thanks.
1: Thank you very much.